Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. This week we catch up with Ken Haydock from Little Jacket, and Ken talks about how he got started as a snowboarding, screen printing designer, and has now transitioned to a world of working with high-profile startups and high-growth companies. You can find all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. While you're at it, check us out on iTunes and give us a rating and review to help others find the show. And without further ado, please welcome Ken Haydock. Hey guys, I'm really excited today that I have today with us on Obsessed with Design, Ken Hey, Doc, from Little Jacket. Ken, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Ken and I met a couple years ago when we had the opportunity to um, co-judge uh, an Addies competition. So it was cool to, uh, you know, you never know who you're going to meet when you go to these things. So it was cool to to meet you there. Yeah, it was, uh, it was in Dayton, right? So, oh, yeah. Dayton, Ohio. Yep. Very yeah, that cool. Was a- it was good. We drove in in a, an absolute chaotic snowstorm. Oh, right. I forgot I had a cup of coffee that was in the dashboard with, that I left overnight and came out, and it was just a block of ice. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so enough about Dayton. Let's jump in here and talk a little bit about you. Great. Maybe we could start with, tell me a little bit about your origin story. How would you get into design, and um, how did you come to find yourself doing what you're doing today? So I started design at the University of Cincinnati in, that would have been t- 1993. And I, I transferred right away, almost instantly up to Kent State. And I, I really don't recall the reason. Anyway, I, I went to Kent for a little while and then, and then left school and, and was a snowboarder for a number of years. And just, I basically worked in restaurants at night, snowboarded during the day. And after a while, uh, I decided I needed to do something different with my life and, and decided to go back to school uh, for design. And this was, this was in the late 90s, right as really the, the Internet was becoming a real thing. And I was enamored by what was going on uh, in the digital world and kept thinking about the work I'd started doing as a designer in the early nineties and, and just kept, kept thinking there's something here. I've got to, I've got to go explore it. Um, and I, I was at the time was working in restaurants. I basically trained under a couple chefs and was running a restaurant. Uh, and I had a, a young son and it was just not, it was no good to be a, in the restaurant business with a young family at the time. So I decided to go back to school. And while I was, while I was there, I, uh, I I went I did the a typical undergrad program at Kent State, which has a has a really good program, um, and immediately got into the graduate program, and that's where I, I met uh, I met Joe Parlett and Mikey Burton. Uh, the three of us were the three of us were in the program together, and we all shared desks. And we all shared a, a common area in the graduate studio, and. You know, among all the things that we were doing as as graduate students, the three of us were kind of restless and and we're we're trying to just find something else to do to to you know keep ourselves uh, on top of our I guess on top of our design game. And at, this is at the time when 
Um, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of gig posters starting to to come back on the scene. Uh, a lot sure. of screen printed work, letterpress work, and we had access to a letterpress. Actually, we had access to a, about five letterpresses at Kent, and so we started we started messing around with that, and then we started to mess around with screen printing just as a again as just sort of this out, creative outlet on top of our design our, our graduate design studies. So we were. We were we were playing with screen printing and and uh, as a way to teach ourselves, we were making posters for bands that were coming to play at local venues in Cleveland. So we would print uh, you know about a hundred posters for you know band coming to a local venue, and uh, once we had them printed, I'd write uh, my phone number on the back of them. You know, I had, a, I had an early flip cell phone, and I would put my number on there, and, oh, and we'd take, we <laughs> yeah, it was. It was pretty. It was pretty high tech at the time. <laughs> we uh, so we would drop a, a you know a dozen or so off at a, at the venue that uh, whatever this whatever band was coming to play at and say hey you know we made these you can use them if you want to use them if you don't whatever if you need more our phone my, you know I've got my phone numbers on the back on the back give me a call. Well after we had done a few of these we st- we started getting a we'd get a call here and there from a venue saying hey people keep tearing them down could you bring us some more and uh, you know it, we were like oh why would you tear these down and and then. It occurred to us that people were, you know, taking them home. So we're like, okay, cool. We'll bring you some more. Then we started getting phone calls for people who actually wanted us to do work for them, and uh, that was uh, that was about the time when when we realized that you know what, what what we're doing is it's it's a lot of fun, but we can actually make money off of this sort of poster entertainment business. So kind of like that, over, overnight we, we started a company. Uh, we had a couple requests for we had a request for an identity project for a for a guy who made custom built ampl- tube amplifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a we had a job with uh, the artist uh, Derek Hess. Uh, him he had a clothing line. We did some work for them. We had uh, we did a project for MTV. And this is all within a couple months of us teaching ourselves how to screen print. So it's pretty good that, for a couple snowboarders. Yeah, well, I was the only snowboarder. Jo- uh, <laughs> Joey and Mikey were just these two designers who were incredibly talented and about five years younger than me. Who we just kind of had a common interest. Um, mm, cool. Yeah, so that's that's how the that's how the company started, and it, we we really we we were really this poster and branding company for the for the first couple of years operating almost entirely in the space of music and entertainment. And that was, that was fun, but it didn't last because there's not a whole lot of money to be made there for aspiring designers. So mm-hmm. we gradually kind of grew into doing other things. Cool. So where did, um, were you guys calling it little jacket back then too? <laughs> so, uh, this is, this is the number one question that we get is where did the name come from? So, we called it Little Jacket the second we actually had to come up with a name for what we were doing, and it was really it was really a sort of an on the spot decision because we had to we had to register the company mm-hmm. in order to take a job, and I can't remember exactly who the job was for at the time. We had about three or four of them, three or four job requests at the same time. Uh, so we we said, all right, well, we need a name, and. We were doing all of this, what I would call nostalgic work, you know, and as the computer was becoming uh, more and more prominent in the field of design, we were 
going in the opposite direction. And we were doing a lot of, like I said, a lot of screen print and a lot of letterpress work. So Joey threw out this name, Little Jacket, and Mike and I both looked at him like, okay, what? where does this name come from? And it, it, he had pulled it from a, a song lyric from the, from the band LCD Sound System, and it's a, it, was a, it was a reference to the members-only jackets from the 1980s, this sort of oh, yeah. uh, nostalgic, nostalgic um, jacket. Uh, and it just stuck. We said, all right, fine, we need a name, let's do it. And it's been that way ever since. And I, I don't think that there's too many clients that we've worked with or people that I've met that haven't asked me about where the, where the name came from. Even cooler that it's members only. I think I, uh, I think I left mine in a Ponderosa when I was a kid, and my parents couldn't <laughs> get me another one. But uh, it met a sad end. It's funny. Almost everybody I tell has a story of 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 a members only jacket <laughs> getting torn, getting lost, getting stolen. Uh, but it's always you know something something cherished that it's traumatic. <laughs> yes. Well, so you guys have shifted a lot recently. I mean, you had given me a little bit of an update that you guys are doing more focused work in the startup space. So tell me a little bit about how that transition happened and when that occurred and kind of what, what drove that business decision. Sure. So we were, you know, the, we didn't last very long as a poster company. We quickly switched our focus more to what I would call a branding agency. We hired a, a great creative director out of the from from Cleveland to join the to join the team, uh, and we were I would say a fairly typical branding agency for about ten years. I think it was right around our ten year anniversary actually uh, that I started to really think about all right, well, what's the next what's the next ten years going to look like? Mm-hmm. And I'd been thinking a lot about you know what the state of design. You know, what's the state of design look like right now? What are the things that we've done in the past that I, I was the most interested in? What are the real opportunities going, you know, going forward? And we had done a lot of work with startups, and we've, we've done a lot of consulting that I would say looks a lot more like design thinking than mm-hmm. it, you know, or design, design strategy than just, you know, just you know, your typical graphic design work or branding work or ad, advertising work. We were starting to, to apply it more towards strategic thinking and, and, and business decisions and product decisions. Uh, and I, I, you know, the more I thought about it and the more I looked at how business is changing, how technology is, is impacting the world, uh, it, really, it really seemed like a, a great opportunity to, to join, join the momentum. And it, like I said, it's something we'd done. We'd worked with you know, s- several dozen startups over the course of our 10 years, some Really great ones, some that you know in typical startup fashion didn't do very well, uh, but it, but it was always probably the most exciting work that we ever done. And we when we ask um, our designers, hey, you know what brands what brands would you like to work for if, if you if you could work for anybody? And they they would always say you know these really big brands like like Nike or or uh, HBO or you know mm-hmm. tar, you know Target pick pick a pick a major brand and. And the more I thought about it, it was like the more I thought those brands really don't need us. You know, there's a lot of people serving brands out there, and really started to to consider what you know who in the business world c- could really use 
who could really use the the things that we are doing the 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 consulting side the you know again more of the branding side and and the startup failure rate is is 90% and that's a pretty big number for you know 90% of companies that start are going to fail and there's some really great companies that that don't make it for one reason or another so just kind of threw it out there to the team I was like what if we just focused on on trying to help more of these companies succeed and i think that got everybody excited and i was i was really excited about it it, it i've been passionate about it for a while and so we said hey we're going to take a stab at it uh, you know it was it was an opportunity to 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 not really compete with every other branding agency out there because we were we were focused on something uh something very very different Mm-hmm. And that that was about a that was about a year ago that we really made we really started to make the switch, and we I, I wouldn't say we we've you know we've shed all of our other our work we still have a, a bunch of clients that we've worked with over time, but um, but most of our work now is is almost exclusively with startups and I would say not they're not necessarily early stage startups a lot of them are startups who have proven their business model and they're now scaling. Uh, and they have a whole host of, of challenges, and a lot of which, um, you know, a, a, a design agency is, is is perfect to could jump in and help them with. Have you found that that changes the way that you staff your team, or what you look for in a new hire, or kind of how you guys have scaled up or down? I'm just curious how that impacts how you how you run the business based on kind of the the different target client, or even if it's more strategy driven deliverables versus you know making a thing for them oh it's it's had a it's had a serious impact on on how we think about everything within the company we 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 never really had a formal strategy team uh so in this last summer we made a conscious effort to start building a a dedicated strategy team Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's that was one that was one big one big shift the other is, um, as we hired designers, or if, if we, as we've been hiring our, our, our creative team, we've been really focused on finding uh, designers who are, are really confident in what they do, can work pretty fast, because startups, startups move a lot faster than other companies, and yeah. you just have to adjust your pace for them. And you have to, you have to adjust for their... Uh, I would say I, w- I would call it um, their rapid change of changing of direction. They, you know, mm-hmm. want, you, you might be working with them over the course of a month and a half, and over the course of a month and a half, they might change direction three times uh, because they learn they learn new information and uh, they they go after a strategic opportunity. You just have to be you have to be ready for that. So the team we've been really focused on making a, a, a kind of a very fast and agile team that can move move at the pace and in the direction multiple directions of the companies we work with. Uh, and our process has changed as well. We've 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 really started to think differently about. Uh, we had the, you know very typical design agency branding agency waterfall process of you go do some discovery then you do some strategy then you do some design now we have a lot of things moving in parallel uh, so everybody's it's it's everybody's kind of learning as we go mm-hmm. and you know we're building the team at the best we can to to try and identify individuals who fit that uh, who fit that mold 
but it, it's a challenge because it, it, it's not uh, it's not a, a very designers don't come out of school prepared to do something like this. It's something that you you have to just dive in and, and get your hands dirty and, and screw up a bunch of times and, and figure out you know how to move in a different direction. So what, what kinds of designers do you think are a good fit for that transition from like the, as you said, the traditional waterfall method to maybe more of a, uh, you know, a sprint mindset or somebody who's, who's comfortable with a client who wants to pivot every, you know, 60 days. And, you know, you can't just go off and make your masterpiece and come back six months later. Like what, what do you look for in a designer that you think will help them fit that mold, even though they're not necessarily learning that in school? Well, I think there's, there's two, there's two ways to, to look at this. One, you definitely need some traditional designers who, who have a really great aesthetic eye and a sense of detail, a sense of detail to, to put a nice finish on whatever we're executing. So mm-hmm. it, we don't, it's not that we don't have your, your, your typical designer because they're still, they're still an absolute necessary, uh, necessity. Uh, but the... The, I think the, the more versatile designers, they, they come from essentially two or three different backgrounds. One, they took a very non-traditional path to, be, to becoming a designer. They have a range of, of skills that I would say are outside of design, whether they're product or, or, or technology-driven or they, you know, they were an architect and then became a designer or they, were in biz, they went to business school and fell in love with design and made a transition or they, they came from, they, they were, they were a product developer, product lead within a, a, an agency and they decided then to focus more on, on the design side and less on the product side. They have a tendency to, uh, they have a tendency to look at the, the, look at a project differently, um, look at the possibilities of where where a solution might go differently and then move pretty quickly in a direction to try something and, and then abandon it if they have to abandon it pretty quickly. Sure. Well, maybe to, to shift gears a little bit, um, we were talking a little bit at the beginning of the call about um, a nonprofit that you were working with called the Open Doors Academy. Maybe you can tell us about uh, how you guys got involved in that project and what's going on with them. Yeah, so we've worked with Open Doors Academy uh, for I want to say seven years now. That project started when Roger Frank, our our, at the time was a, just he came on board as a creative director. He now is uh, our chief creative officer and is running the the entire creative team. He was he he joined the board of directors at Open Doors and then within a year became the uh, the board president and. When he first joined, we started doing a little bit of work for them just as a they had some strategic initiatives that required some marketing and we we helped them out. And as he transitioned into the role of board president, he was working really closely with the executive director, uh, Anne Marie Grassi, who had this much bigger vision for the organization. And what the what Open Doors Academy does is they work with at risk youth in and out of school to help them uh, help them achieve goals that uh, are you know often seem out of reach to them uh, everything from graduating high school to going to college to 
building certain skill sets, uh, and they they at the time they were really a, one school with maybe forty or forty or so students and a few hundred thousand dollar operating budget. But the but they their results were outstanding. Every student that went through the program at that time had had graduated high school in uh, in an in an area where you know, there's a only about a 50% graduation rate, but everybody who went through the program graduated. So there was a lot of traction, and, and, and we as, a, as an organization, Little Jacket, thought, all right, well, if we're going to do nonprofit work, let's, let's really focus on, on one or two nonprofits, and this one was just outstanding. So we kind of just fell in love with the program. We started meeting the kids, and we fell in love with the kids. And they do summer camps every year, where they'll you know go and do karate camp or filmmaking camp or dance camp. Well, the the executive director asked us to do uh, the annual report for. Uh, the, I think this would have been 2011 at the time. She asked us if we would do an annual report for them, and we said, "Well, this, sure, let's do an annual report, but can we turn it into uh, a, a summer camp for the kids? We'll bring you know eight or ten kids into the into the studio for a week. We'll teach them about." You know, what it means what it means to fundraise for the organization, what it means to build an annual report, who's it for, what goes into it, how do you write for it, how do you design for it? She said, that sounds great. let's let's try, let's give it a try. And we did. and it was an, it was an outstanding success. The kids were unbelievable. It was so much fun to have a group of kids in our office for a week. They were loud, they were crazy, but they were just super engaged. <laughs> Uh, we taught them how to use cameras. We taught them how to, you know, interview people. Oh, cool. We taught them. It was it was amazing. It really was. And and, I, and and then we got to see them. We got to see them, kind of, over a short period of time, really have a different viewpoint about how their organization impacts them, because they were looking at it from they were looking at it from the community perspective, not just from their perspective. So. So we did this, and it was it, we did this first one, and it, and it was a success. And we we made a pretty nice annual report, and came back around another year. And she said, "Hey, can, you, can we do this again?" And we did. And it, this was at the time when they were going through uh, a bit of a, a rebrand. They had now over that over the course of the year, I think they had picked up two new schools. They had more than more than a hundred students that they were working with now, and they had this growth plan to. to really get into a handful of schools in the Cleveland area. So they, they had to increase their fundraising. They had to increase their exposure. So we helped them out with, with rebranding, the, rebranding the organization, and, and we did another annual report. And this one was even better than the first one. We had a couple students come back. Uh, we were now we were, we were seeing these kids on a regular basis. Uh, you know, they would, they would, we would, see, we would go into interview staff, and we'd see them, and they'd, you know, come up and talk to us. So we, we really started getting more and more invested in, in the program, and uh, so we had, we've done now, I think, five or six annual reports, all of them with the kids, um, and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll enter the the annual reports into the Addies, and you know, if we, when we win, I think we've won something every year. But when we win, when we know we're we're getting a, a you know, a bigger something a bigger award for it we'll bring the kids to the Addies so we've had a number of years where the, we have a whole table full of kids at the Addies and they get to come up and, and get the get the award with us and it's just oh, that's a, awesome it's it, it's so incredible I mean the the 
and now, you know, with some of the kids we've worked with, they're now graduated and off the school, and we'll still run into them, and we'll, we'll get to talk to them, and they're doing amazing things. And so the, the programs from when we started working with them, is, like I said, it was just a couple hundred thousand dollar operating budget. They're now a couple million dollar operating budget. They're in so many schools. Uh, and it's just been one of those things where it's been so rewarding to be a part of something that's growing in the community and, and impacting so many people. They're still... You know, they're still graduating 100% of the kids that come through the, the program. And uh, it, it's just, it's been, it's been one of those, it's been one of those experiences that you just don't really expect you're getting into when you take on a, on a small project. But it's, I, I would say it's defined a lot of, a lot of who we are and what we do. Very cool. Well, I mean, you've worked with obviously some really cool clients as far as uh, the the startups and nonprofits and even, you know, very cool bands that you've done posters for. But what would you say is your proudest moment as a designer? Proudest moment as a designer? I would say, so I think it, it, it relates back to the open doors work that we've done mm-hmm. and it, 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 it early on early on Roger and I were really really involved in the work and uh, we had to, uh, we had our design team helping us out but over the past couple of years the work has really shifted to being a project of a couple of our designers uh, it's something that they've come to own mm-hmm and I think watching just watching a, a young group of designers really develop their skills and their passion for the the work that they do uh, is is what I really find uh, interesting about the work that that we do as a company. I've done uh, most of my design career has been as a, I would say as a, a manager of design. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I got to, I, I got to, I get to watch a lot of other people do really great work. And some of them, some of them just had ridiculous amounts of natural talent and they just jumped right in and were able to, to just thrive. And some of them, some of them had a lot of a lot of talent that just needed to be developed and watching them develop over the course of a few years to the point where they are just rock stars of their own has been incredibly fulfilling for me. So you've obviously worked in everything from super old school techniques, you know, as far as the posters you had done and working with these startups where I'm sure 99% of your work is, is digital. But what do you find um, today that that you're most obsessed with when it comes to design? Oh, that's a great question. So me personally, I am really obsessed with designing things really fast and then testing them and letting, letting data drive, drive some, some of the decision-making, not completely own decision-making, but drive decision-making because it's it's takes the takes the subjectivity out of out of problem solving and says what's working and what's not working and it's uh, it's it's taking design away from being an artifact driven uh, discipline 
into a results-driven discipline mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a completely different way. So I'm really, I'm really excited about uh, the way that design is impacting problems that it hadn't really had a chance to play a role in even five to ten years ago. Uh, and, and data, the, the ability to test, uh, to test, to test to solutions is, I think, has a lot to do with that. So is that more of like an A-B testing kind of approach or how would you, how would you judge one concept quickly? Yeah, so some of it's A-B testing. Some of it is just putting a pretty raw prototype of, of whatever the, a solution might be out in the world and collecting, either collecting uh, anecdotal feedback on it from, from users or you know, tracking metrics around something. And it might, you know, it could be we throw something up uh, a digital product online and test it for three days and just see what happens uh, and not necessarily testing against something, but just testing, testing usability, testing uh, feasibility to solve a particular problem. Uh, but it is, it's, it's something that you can apply metrics to one way or another uh, and, and see, just see how it works before you, before you invest a lot of time into fully developing the idea. Cool. So maybe shifting gears a little bit, where do you find that you get the most inspiration? Hmm. So that's changed for me over the years. Uh, it used to be, I used to get a lot of inspiration from you know, the, the, your typical, the typical places as a designer, um, you know, looking around at other, other contemporaries doing really great work, looking at the sort of the the, the design icons of the past, you know, everything from, well, I, I you know, I, I guess, yeah, I mean, it was, it was very typical. I, don't, I, I can come up with a list, but I, I think that where I see it now is I get excited. Uh, I get ex inspiration from, I think a lot of people outside of the design world mm -hmm. who are doing things that, just kind of blow my mind in, in technology, uh, in, in, in science. I, I mean, I, 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 this is kind of a, it's kind of an easy one, but looking at, uh, looking at a company like, like SpaceX or, or Tesla, you know, Elon yeah. Musk, who's, sure. who, uh, you know, he's an entrepreneur, uh, but he's got a, a pretty rich background in a lot of dif a lot of disciplines, and uh, he's got a lot of design sensibility. But he's incredibly ambitious, and he's trying to tackle he's trying to tackle problems that are absolutely huge. Uh, so I, I get a lot of inspiration from people who 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 I see out there who are doing who, who are going after really 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 big ideas, and essentially stopping at nothing to try and get there. Cool. So what do you do? I mean, so kind of the opposite of that, you know, when you're, when you've got a rough spot or you're feeling kind of stuck, like where do you go or how do you shake that off or what's kind of your, your, your best advice for how to get out of a rut? I think that what I, what, what I do and what I, would say is probably advice is to step away from the problem for a little bit and immerse yourself in uh, in things that might influence the problem that are are not not your typical go to sources of inspiration. 
So read a book that has nothing to do with what you're working on, or or try to read a, like you know read a couple read a couple articles or blogs or something that has nothing to do with the problem. I, I, I find that when I step away from the problem and and just feed my feed my head with other things, I I end up trying I end up sort of floating back to the problem uh, in a, in a way that maybe is. Maybe I would say maybe it almost distracts me from whatever I'm whatever I'm actually attempting to go read. Sure. So let's say I'm going to go read an article uh, about I don't know uh, you know clean energy. Let's just say, but I'm trying to solve I'm trying to solve a problem around uh, a particular a particular company that we're working with that has nothing to do with clean energy. And I'm, I'm reading an article and I, I find myself wandering back to the problem, and I'll, I'll read like four or five paragraphs, and and I don't. I can't remember what I read because I'm now thinking about the problem again, whether I want to or not. And I, I typically end up finding a, you know, that I make some connectivity just by getting away from it. I take a lot of walks too, uh, just to try to get away from the office. Yeah, it's amazing how much just stepping away and and doing something totally unrelated, whether that's uh, you know some people it's walking or driving or showering or something, but just kind of frees your mind up to to think about it in the background and sometimes it'll just tell you, Hey, I, I had an idea. I think it's, it's, yeah, it's funny the way that ideas present themselves. Uh, and it's, it really this, you know, it's connecting dots that you probably didn't see before. And not, you know, it, it just takes, it takes, you know, it's like looking in the fridge for, for something that's right in front of your face and you can't see it. And then, close the door and you open it back up and like, oh, there it is. And it, it's just like when you're looking so hard for something, you, you can't see it. Uh, but the second you, the second you change focus, it becomes incredibly clear. So with all the different types of clients that you've worked with, what do you think is maybe a, a dream client that you'd like to work for in the future? Uh, so I would love to... I don't. I don't know that this company exists yet. They may. They may not. Uh, but I. I really would love it if Little Jacket was working on a lot of bigger problems that are that, that have a serious impact on the future. And it seems kind of. I don't know if that's cliche or not, but I. I get really excited about um, working with companies who are tackling problems like clean energy or. Uh, tackling problems like like poverty because they're 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 huge they're they're really big it's almost they're a lot of them are almost impossible to solve and even if you can solve a slice of it it's it's really exciting and a lot of again a lot of those companies don't exist yet because you know for one reason or another the technology the technology hasn't been uh hasn't caught up to the idea or uh, you know the the person who's the person who's going to bring something like that to market is still in school, so it's hard to pinpoint a company. Uh, but I definitely I definitely would love if we were working on on problems much much bigger than ourselves. Cool, I love that answer. Ten years in, you made a a pretty big pivot of your own, changing some more consulting and more um, startup driven. Where do you think you guys will be? in the next 10 years? Well, I can tell you where I would love to be. I, I would love 10 years from now, and it's going to probably take that long because it's, it's, a, 
it's a fairly big idea. But I would love I would love it if we had an accelerator arm, very similar mm, to cool. uh, you know startup accelerators, where we could bring young early stage companies in and mentor them uh, on top of doing all the other work that we're doing. So continuing to continuing along the trajectory of of working with later stage startups to help them grow, but then developing, being able to develop the, the earlier side of the startup game, um, younger companies who, who have, who are, who have a lot of, uh, a lot of needs in terms of, um, helping them understand, they have a lot of needs in terms of just understanding their product, their, their market, uh, developing a team, they, they, they're, they're really, really exciting to work with. We've done a lot of work with them, but it's really, they, they really require a different level of attention. And it, it, the incubator or the, the accelerator model is, is, seems to be one of the better ways to, to approach that. And I would, love it if, I would love it if we could get to a stage that we had, uh, had that, that capability to bring them, bring them into our, our ecosystem and, and to help them develop whatever that whatever their vision is. So what do you feel like you would need to add to your team to be able to create that kind of incubator model? Well, I think uh, there's a couple things. N- number one, the really good incubators and or accelerators, uh, they, they have, they have just have resources. It's, it's, they have resources, um, that they can make available to, to startups. It's, Mm-hmm. Whether it's uh, whether it's the right network and the right advisors that they can help put on, you know, uh, help mentor the the companies, or a certain level of funding or space, or people that they can help get on a board member, uh, you know, get onto a, on a board of directors. There's 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 that there's that side of it. So I think it's we you know we would need to we would need to be able to build up, uh, I guess, build up those resources over time. And then as, as far as a team goes, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're very new with this in, in a lot of ways. And I think that it would be, it, it, it's just going to take, it's going to take a, a bunch of learning on our end in order to, in order to be the right, the right set of resources for, for, for a company. It, it, we may be, we may be able to do it with even with the a, a staff that looks a lot like the company right now, but we just we we all need to learn a lot more uh, in order to be a better better set of advisors to those early stage companies. Have you guys looked into? I know a lot of uh, design firms and marketing agencies have kind of gone down the path of you know creating their own products or starting their own side project. Have you guys? considered that route as maybe a beta test for this we yeah actually we do have a couple products in the works um one we started when we we started to work on and and then we put it we put it on hold we started uh, and this is kind of a it's 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 a lot different than a, a typical product for a, a, a typical startup model product but we started to brew our own beer and uh we've got a couple we've, we've actually brewed a couple different ones and uh may bring those to market but it's a again it's not really a, a that's not a high growth play uh we do have a couple other products that we are we have started to at least tease out a little bit 
uh, I, I would say that we might try to bring one or two of them to market over the next 24 months. And it's a, to your, you're absolutely right. Like it's a great way to, it's a great way to just kind of test out, test out the model. But it's also really difficult when you're, you know, when you have to divide your attention between the work you really want to do for yourself and the work you're doing for your clients. So we, we, we're, we're pursuing it, uh, maybe not as aggressively as I would like. Cool. Well, Ken, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Where could um, our audience find you guys online and how could people connect with you? So uh, you can go to our website, which is uh, little-jacket.com. The, it's a, our, our website is currently in a, um, I would say, a experiment stage. We, uh, we decided to um, pull our work, all of our work off the website. So we don't have any work on there right now as a, we, we just wanted to run an experiment and see if we could, um, what would happen if a branding firm just took all their work down and uh, we'll probably put it back up in the next few months. Uh, but it's, if you go there right now, you won't find much other than I think you'll, you'll see what it is we're up to. Um, but you can find, you can find me uh, on Twitter at, uh, it's at K it's at K H E J D U K, and we're you find us on Facebook. If you want to see our work, you can find a lot of it on Facebook. Very cool. Well, just for the benefit of the audience, I'd like to uh, reassure you that uh, Little Jacket's work has been and and continues to be really incredible. So, in spite of the fact that you have it taken down, it's not because it isn't incredibly impressive. You guys do some very cool stuff. Thank you. Well, Ken, again, thanks so much for the conversation. It was great to catch up and thank you for being obsessed with design. Hey guys, that is episode 11 in the books. Thank you so much for joining us today for our interview with Ken Haydock. Uh, be sure to check out the show notes page for all of today's links and information about Ken's company, Little Jacket. And don't forget to let us know who you'd like to hear us interview next. Remember, we're looking for designers of all types. So if you have design in your title, maybe I'd like to talk to you. You can hit us up on Twitter at Obsessed Show, at Josh Miles, and ObsessedShow.com. We'll catch you next time. Thanks. <laughs>